It is said around meals and at bedsides. It is said at weddings and at funerals. And weekly, we come together as a community of faith, and we pray these words that for some of us have come from our lips thousands of times. So many times that it could become rote. This thing that we say when given a specific cue in worship, us maybe entering into autopilot. But really this prayer, the prayer that Jesus taught us to pray, is tied to a larger question. See, the disciples are trying to figure out what it truly means to live a faithful life. And they wonder those, as they wondered those thousands of years ago, we too still wonder this day. And I wonder if we look at this prayer as one of the clues that Jesus provides of how to live a faithfully in the world, I wonder what we can gather. And I wonder if we were to look at this prayer with new eyes, how the ordinariness of it would strip away and the extraordinary revolutionary nature of asking for God's kingdom to come here on earth as it is in heaven. I wonder how that would actually affect us, how it would actually change how we live. For what would it look like if we believed that God's kingdom was here? For early Christians, there was this belief in the imminence of God's kingdom. They thought that at any given moment, a left-behind-esque rapture would be happen, and they would be lifted up and be part of God's kingdom. But I wonder if what Jesus wanted wasn't us waiting on the world to change, but if Christ was calling us to be the change. And I don't know about you, but I know that I'm done waiting. This familiar and important passage is taken from the Gospel of Matthew. Pray then in this way. Our Father in heaven, hallowed be your name. Your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread and forgive us our debts as we also have forgiven our debtors. And do not bring us to the time of trial, but rescue us from the evil one. Hear what the Spirit is saying to the church. Amen. Amen. Would you please pray with me? Lord, may the words of my mouth and the meditations of all of our hearts be glorified in your sight. For you, O oh God, are our rock and our redeemer. Amen. So I recently attended a class uh, with Kellogg Business School that was for nonprofit leaders and religious leaders alike. And the class was on how do we apply design principles to the leadership that we offer our organizations. So this morning, I'm going to invite you to do something a little atypical. But I promise you, I'm not actually asking you to do anything that I haven't done myself. Quid pro quo, after all. So 
step one, I'm going to ask you to take a moment and to introduce yourself to someone sitting near you, preferably not your spouse or a dear friend, because I hope by now you know your spouse and your dear friends. So in a moment, I'm going to ask you to invite yourself to that person, uh, maybe people if you need more than one in a situation, but introduce yourself to your worshiping neighbor, and you might have to move a little to do this, um, but I invite you to share your name and maybe what town you live in and something that you care deeply about. So I'm going to give you guys a moment to maybe get up if you have to get up and move near to someone you don't know and introduce yourself with those three questions. So you do not have to end all conversation with this person forever. I hope that you guys touch base after worship as well. I am very impressed with how much you all want to talk with one another. That makes me really happy. <laughs> okay. But that was only step one in this process. It's a two-step process. So, and this is where it's going to get really weird, so I'm just warning you. So... Step two in this process, everyone, did everyone receive a piece of paper and a pencil or writing utensil when they came in this morning? Awesome. Um, if you didn't, we have some in the back and can get you them. Uh, but <laughs> I'm going to invite you with your paper and pencil to spend exactly one minute and to draw your new friend. I know, I know. Okay, are you guys ready? Set, go.
Awesome. Congratulations, you made it through your minute. Now, I feel a little bad as I was standing up here. I was like, I hope this isn't some massive misuse of the pulpit power. But, <laughs> but um, so after worship, I invite you to share your photos with myself, or maybe you'll get to share them with your new friend. Uh, maybe you share things that you learned about them, or you continue your conversations about things you care deeply and hope about. So I know that this was a really weird exercise. Um, for a skilled artist, taking a minute to draw someone is an impossible task. For a really skilled artist, taking a minute to draw someone is an impossible task. Um, and I know for some of you this was scary, you had to kind of put yourselves out there, try to find somebody to talk to. Um, maybe you just kind of were like, I'm just going to go with the person I know. It's, it's hard to do. But I always hold on to this quote that we should do one thing every day that scares us. So congratulations, you have done the one thing today that will scare you and now you can go on to live a totally boring rest of your day. <laughs> um, when you guys started drawing, I heard lots of laughter. Um, there was a little bit of awkwardness. And I actually heard someone apologizing really profusely for like what they were about to draw. But it's really fascinating because when you give this project to little children, there's absolutely none of that. The awkwardness, the laughter, the anxiety is simply not there. The little ones sit down with a sense of purpose and determination. See, the world hasn't told them yet that they aren't good artists or that they can't do something. They have less of the anxiety and the self-consciousness that we've developed as adults. These self-fulfilling prophecies about who we are and what we can do. The first Sunday in our creation series, we talked about what it means to create a life. How do we live intentionally choosing what is truly important? and who God is calling us to be and how God is calling us to be in the world. Now the benefit of doing a sermon series is I can add an addendum onto that sermon. And the, and the addendum that I would add is that I would also add that God, what God is calling us to do and who God is calling us to be in the world isn't always about what makes us happy and comfortable. Actually, like so many of the most important things in our life they demand risk and discomfort. Ask any expectant mother about the risk and discomfort that she is facing about to bring a new world, life into the world. Or look at entrepreneurs or artists. There's always a moment when the world thinks that you're crazy. They wanna talk you out of your plans, they don't make sense, they aren't financially viable or practical or attainable. Looking at Jesus' life itself, it, it wasn't safe and it wasn't settled. He didn't keep good company, although I bet you that the company that Jesus kept was a lot more fun. 
Jesus dared and he risked. And I don't know if Jesus was unafraid of the consequences or outcomes, but Jesus also did not let his life or his message be ruled by fear. So how is God calling us to create a life? Like the disciples in our scripture today who are asking Jesus, how do we pray? What they're really asking is how are we too called to be God's people in the world? And last week, Pastor Seth gave an awesome answer to that question. He talked about how God is calling God's people to tear down systems of oppression that humanity has created that were called to tear down homophobia and toxic masculinity, racism, and xenophobia. But God's world is not only about tearing down, it's also about building up. So what does it look like to build a just world for all of God's creation? What does it look like to have the kingdom here on earth as it is in heaven? This past summer, my childhood friend, who has been notorious for convincing me to do things I was a little anxious about doing from a very early age, she convinced my husband Dan and I to join her and seven friends on a trip to the Boundary Waters in northern Minnesota. We set out for a week untethered to our technology, our phones locked in our cars, And while the boundary speaks of the division between the United States and Canada, we felt like we were on the boundary of something else. It's a world almost untouched by humanity. On that trip, we fell asleep to the haunting calls of the loons echoing across the lake. We canoed out at night and laid down in the belly of the boat and looked up at the heavens and in the vastness of the stars recognized our own smallness. All nine of us sat out on a rocky point in silence as the sky turned from bright orange and red, yellows, violets, pinks, and purples, until the chill of the evening called us back to the campfire. I know there are those of you in this church who also love this place. I know that Dave Hecht and Lowell Lindstrom went to the Boundary Waters as high school youth with their church, or the La Chapelles were up there this summer canoeing around as well. But these untouched places, they are changing. They are changing because we've put our own creature comforts before creation. The places that we love, that we want to share with our children and our grandchildren, are being ravaged by wildfires and droughts, the environmental crisis becoming a humanitarian crisis as ways of living are no longer possible. I've heard people say, and if I'm honest with you, I probably was one of the people who said, oh, we'll leave that problem to smarter people. To the corporations and companies that are the major infractors, we'll let them figure out how to clean up this mess. But I don't know about you, but I'm done waiting on the world to change. As you drive down the street, there are homes boarded up, and it was eerily empty for the middle of the afternoon. No children played in the park. And as I drove up to Precious Blood Ministries in the back of the yard neighborhood, 
I thought about how different it was from the town that I had just come from 45 minutes ago. On August 5th in our church, we had two of our summer interns, Calamar and Anna Ebel, preach their culminating summer sermons. We also had a conversation led by a former youth, Polly Cooper, who worked for World Relief on talking about immigration. And I went to a barbecue at a friend's house where we drank around a fire and talked about life and caught up. But in the city of Chicago, on August 5th, there were five mass shootings. Less than an hour away in Austin, two separate shootings in Lawndale, in Humboldt Park, and in Gershom. Two people died and 25 were wounded. In 2018, there were 323 mass shootings in America. That's a mass shooting a day for almost 11 full months. 387 people were killed and over 1,200 wounded. Right after Sandy Hook happened, I remember that I thought that politics had to change, something had to change. It can't stay like this and someone's gonna do something. And I don't know about you, but I'm done waiting on the world to change. As trans people's personhood was called into question in their ability to serve our nation, you saw floods on social media with outrage, but there was little concrete action. I'm done waiting on the world to change. When we pray the Lord's Prayer every week, when we pray it every week, we say, thy kingdom come, thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. When we say these words, we're praying for the revolutionary reign of God's love to come down on earth, to give us this day our daily bread. In these words, we're praying that we have what we need and nothing more. And forgive us our sins as we forgive those who sin against us. We confess. We confess our imperfections, our guilt, our complicity, our complicity and compliance. And I have to pause because we cannot stay there. As Pastor Seth talked about absolution today, see, we, when we confess, when we admit our wrongdoing and fault, we receive that wonderful, blessed absolution where we're told that there is nothing that we have done and there is nothing that we've left undone that can separate us from the love of God. But when we receive that absolution, we're also called to be people of transformation. See, we can't go back to living the ways that we lived before, to doing the same things that we've done before. In our absolution, we are called to transformation. We don't have to wait for the world to change. We are here as God's people with God to be the change. Now, <laughs> I invite you to take a look at that drawing that you made of your neighbor. <laughs> and it's not perfect. You weren't, <laughs> maybe some of you it is, but my, by and large, I get, my guess is that it's not perfect. You weren't given the time and maybe you weren't given the tools that you needed. Maybe 
I'm not speaking, maybe someone out there is a great artist, but maybe for most of us, we'll never be great artists. But I also wonder at how often we discredit and discount ourselves. So often we feel paralyzed by the enormity of the world's problems and pain. Sometimes we think that someone else, someone with more money or brains or power or influence, will take care of the problems of our world. But God didn't call us to wait for the world to change. God called us to be the change, to draw the kingdom together where neighbor truly recognizes neighbor. And maybe you are an artist called to a masterpiece. Or maybe you're called to eat less meat, or to drive your car less, or to recycle, or to divest from fossil fuels, or to switch over to green energy. Maybe on Saturday, May 11th, the Saturday before Mother's Day, you gather with members from our church and with mothers from the back of the yard neighborhood as we walk through those streets and we demand gun reform that nobody's baby should be shot dead on the street. Or maybe you're called to a school board meeting at 7 o'clock tomorrow where the district will vote on policy for trans and gender nonconforming students that is long overdue. When I was in middle school, I remember I actually sang in my middle school, uh, or my junior high singers, as the singers sang this morning. When your dad's the pastor, you get roped into doing like every single thing in the church. So, <laughs> but I also remember that I had uh, stickers everywhere, like post-it notes with inspirational quotes and messages. And one of them is still one of my favorites to this day by Margaret Mead that says, never doubt that a group of dedicated citizens can change the world, for indeed it is the only thing that ever has. So let's stop waiting on the world to change and let's start being the change in ways big and in ways small, so that we may let God's kingdom reign here on earth as it is in heaven. Amen.